There's just very few Michael Jordans out there or Tom Brady's, but there's plenty of stories. And what we learned about that was what people really wanted was stories about the players. Storytelling, uh, when I look back on it, was the most important thing. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson. I'm joined finally, once again, with my longtime partner, Joe Favorito. Joe, good to be doing one simultaneously. You have been like the traveling podcasting maven over the last month. So tell everybody what you've been up to with, I mean, you don't really have to talk about Super Bowl at this point. It seems like old news, but you did a lot of pods at Super Bowl, you and Scott and LJ. And then I think, did you do some at Sloan last week when you were in Boston? We, we did not do any at Sloan, but we did oh, so okay. many at at. Super Bowl that anybody who's listening to this in the middle of March has probably and has listened to anything in the last month were all the ones that we've done three a week at 15 minutes each. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you guys are just cranking those out. It was like uh, twice a day. I'd see a notification on LinkedIn mm -hmm. or Twitter that new new podcast from Columbia and uh, good for you guys for doing it. I, I hope uh, some people enjoyed them. You have some really interesting guests, by the way. Yeah, we have great um, guests. Sounds like it um, might have been pretty fun. Yeah, and it's been. Um, it's funny, ironically, as I just mentioned, this is a Friday, the Friday before Selection Sunday, when I was hoping that I was going to be in Atlantic City, which would have been like four Fridays in a row, I would have been on the road. And, and by the way, speaking of being on the road, as we do this, our Columbia students on spring break are heading to Madrid for- Yes, I'm aware so we'll of that. we have on that in the coming weeks. But Sloan was interesting, yeah. um, same size, uh, same venue for two years in a row. Really one of the more interesting things that, that was the amount of speakers who were women and the impact that they had. I was just incredibly impressed with the way Jessica Berman and Jessica Gelman, but Sue Bird handled herself and really interesting stuff. And then the other really interesting one was um, Michael Lewis talking about the 20th anniversary of Moneyball. With wow, 20 Bill years. James. And, yeah. and one of the more- And, Bill, and to be clear, Bill was there, right? He was on a couple Bill of channels. James, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, one of the, the more interesting things about that conversation was, and, and we've talked in class about how, how things actually happen. Like how does the random stuff happen? So Bill James mentioned when Michael Lewis had gone to visit him in Lawrence, Kansas, when he was writing the book, and it only took him eight months to put the whole book together, which is unusual. Uh, Bill said he recalled Michael, he said to him, so what else are you doing? And, and Michael Lewis said, well, there's this guy, Sean Tui, who I went to high school with. I'm thinking about, he's got the, like this football thing going on. I'm thinking about talking to him about that. And that's, he revealed how the story of the blind side actually happened was he just happened to have a random beer with Sean Tui, who started to tell him about this kid, Michael, Orr, who they were adopting. Wow. And suddenly it became a book, which he had never thought in a million years. So it's interesting where the ideas came from. The other person I spent a lot of time with Tom, and I'm sure you've read his stuff, maybe not known his name is Bruce Schoenfeld, who's a really acclaimed writer, writes for New York Times Magazine. And he was talking about the same thing about how stories come up. And he's got a book coming out in uh, about a month that we'll, we will have him on. But again, it was it was really interesting just kind of being in the room and uh, and listening to people. But again, a great experience. I think we had probably 25 or 30 students and alumni and faculty there. Some people who hadn't been around since like the lost ages of our program. So it was great. As, as always, um, you know, you try to extract what you can from those conferences. And yeah, I should give everybody a heads up as a public service announcement. I, I told my class this the other day, 
it was nice that Sloan, the, the conference executives, put up all the main stage videos within a matter mm. of days. So they're all yeah. there for the taking. Literally go on YouTube level 42. I think it's called or 42 analytics. I can't remember what mm. their YouTube channel is called, but if you look it up, you'll find it. Yep. So it was a two-day conference. They have the entire day, day one uh, available, and they've got the entire day two, like literally like eight or nine hours in a row of panel videos. So great resource for people that would, could not make it, including myself, because I was not able to go this year. Uh, and one last thing, speaking of the founders, uh, Daryl Morey and Jessica Gelman, today is Friday, March 10th, and it was announced today. I guess it was finally come out today that NWSL is expanding back into Salt Lake City and Daryl Morey and Jessica Gelman are two of the investment uh, owners. So kudos to them as well. Yeah. Okay. So um, I just want to mention more thing before we introduce our guests, because we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. But um, this is a great time of the year, Joe. We're on the verge of March Madness. In fact, a week from today, we'll probably, I know it's going to be, uh, it's spring break at Columbia, so we may not be recording a show, but it's that it's that magical Thursday Friday combination two weeks in a row where no one's actually doing business and everybody's obsessed with basketball and that's really one of the one of the fun times of the sports calendar partly because it's such a great tournament and also because it kind of is ushering in the spring season of sports which is my favorite season of sports as we get into NBA playoff obviously March Madness and the championship NBA playoff basketball, which is one of my favorite things on the calendar, the opening of baseball season, the develop, developing uh, soccer season uh, in uh, global football, but also MLS, just so much uh, masters on the verge of the yeah. masters. So anyway, it's a really great time. But I have to say, as I mentioned to you in a convo the other day, Joe, I've become so obsessed with F1 because of this drive to survive. <laughs> and This is something I want to bring up with our guest later on this proliferation of sports documentaries that this hard knocks type approach to sports storytelling is just so fascinating there's so many as you mentioned to me joe the other day probably too many too many um but if you find one that you like and and my wife and i have found drive to survive and honestly i would call it an obsession to the point where as i joked with joe the other day everybody my wife wanted to watch the Bahrain Grand Prix this past <laughs> Sunday. She didn't even know what the Bahrain Grand Prix was a few weeks ago, but now we know all the drivers. We're all excited about this. And uh, it's really one of the great marketing stories of recent history. Yeah, and one, one of the, the key things to point out is, first of all, it's not new. It's two things. It's not new. This is, this is the same kind of mania went on when Hard Knocks first came out. Obviously, it was more expensive to do and there weren't enough as many streaming channels, so it wasn't as easy to do. And a, a much more limited addressable right. audience. And there, so there were plenty, that, but yeah. the, the addressable audience, I think, is key because this is really much less about golf reaching a massive audience as opposed to continuing to feed the beast that is really interested in maybe casual fans. And that's where I think gets overlooked all the time is, is people look like, oh, we're going to go and get 85 billion new fans. Well, what this really does is it reinforces, and, that, and by the way, Tom, that's what Apple is doing with all their, their MLS uh, on Apple TV Plus is all this amazing content for the core fan and some of the casual fan. I think in the long run, that's much, much more important than trying to figure out how, you know, pickleball is going to go and get 85 million, million viewers, which by the way, is not happening. Not happening. Well, Everybody I'd like to ask our guests happening. that question about pickleball because Joe and I, uh, had that conversation the other day too. Okay. That, that is an interesting thing. Anyways, let's let's introduce our guests. I actually want to make this official and read 
the introduction as uh, as I got it from our guest. And first of all, this is a guy that many of you who have been in the business for a while know. He's had an illustrious career. So we are talking about Michael Dresner, a former executive at the NBA, where he managed the international TV syndication business. And his career, by the way, in the in the 90s, from 90 to roughly 97, mirrored mine in the NFL. I was 90 to 98 at the NFL. So that's one thing we always had in common. But then he made an interesting move and he went to one of the one of the first notable digital agencies in the world of digital media since it was so new at the time digitas a name that only ogs know uh from from digital marketing and advertising uh and michael launched the sports and entertainment practice so i'm i'm anxious to hear a little bit about that when he tells us more about his background but then he became an entrepreneur said enough with this corporate stuff i'm going to do something new and he and a former, I believe, former colleague from the NBA, he can tell the story better than I, started Cinesport, which was a really interesting early stage kind of middle web to streaming idea to distribute content on video for local papers and things like that. I actually was, I, I heard about it when it was launched and I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it grew and grew, became a top three um channel effectively in the Comscore rankings, and he sold the business in 2017. That's always nice to hear that there was an exit. And then he started another company called Forward Media Partners, which is providing video production, distribution, and sales services to content owners. Clients include Gemini 13. Anybody knows about the podcasting business knows that name probably. So that's uh, Spencer Brown, well-known in the radio and podcasting business, Charles Steinhauer, et cetera. And that's a client of uh, Forward Media Partners. Michael's helped them bring video to the podcasting business, which we want to talk about. Some of those uh, podcasts, by the way, include some notable ones, um, PFF, True Hoop, uh, and Hang. So, Michael, I could keep going, but why don't you take it from here? So happy to have you on the show. Welcome to uh, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. Um, thank you for having me and uh, my pleasure. Uh, looking forward to talking to you guys. All right. Do you want to kind of just fill in a couple of blanks before you sure. tell us about what you're doing now? Because some of the some of the references and stories might be worth mentioning uh, yeah. for the edification of uh, me and Joe, at least, but but also <laughs> many folks who kind of appreciate the, their twists and turns in your career. Sure, sure. So uh, actually, it ties into what you guys were talking about a, a few minutes ago. Um, so at the NBA, I did a lot of things, but uh, originally started on the sponsorship side and, and joined right when the NBA was relaunching the properties division, which was 1990. They had hired a guy named David Schreff and David filled out uh, a new um, a sponsorship group. And really our goal was to integrate sponsorship with media. Um, David Stern was always very, very innovative in how he looked at media and the importance of media in reaching things like casual fans, Joe, uh, uh, I think that's really important. Um, we were so uh, successful in that case. I actually also met my wife that way because I, I negotiated the first rock and jock basketball uh, event. Um, and my wife was at MTV and we ended up meeting, working on that deal. So uh, the NBA uh, was a very successful venture for me. Um, and and in, in running the international TV business, I was doing it at a time when television around the world was becoming privatized. So where, where governments and even Western countries were controlling television, all of a sudden uh, you had uh, an influx of capital, privatization, a lot of um, interesting new models. And the NBA went 
and and all of a sudden was was reaching 200 some odd broadcasters around the world in various forms. Um, and what we learned about that because of time zone change in differences was what people really wanted was stories about the players, um, you, you know, and storytelling, um, when I look back on it, was the most important thing. Uh, and I listened to you talk about Drive to Survive. Um, it reminds me of the up close and personals in the Olympics back when I was first starting to watch it. And that's how people really connected with the Olympics, because you weren't going to be able to see live events, certainly back then, uh, when you wanted to. Um, I think of sports as the best reality television out there, and Drive to Survive is a great example of that. Um, I did end up moving uh, and, and going to work at Digitas at the time of, um, you know, uh, this is the late 90s when digital was first starting to become uh, sort of a, an important platform uh, for sports and entertainment for that matter. And we, we um, I, I did that for seven years and really learned about something that's become really important in today's sports marketplace, which is direct-to-consumer marketing. Uh, Digitas's background actually was direct mail and and, uh, and phone uh, to really, usually people think of those as more of the boring aspects of marketing. But in today's marketplace, for example, I was just reading about Bob Iger, what he was saying about Disney Plus, and, you know, it's all about direct-to-consumer marketing. Uh, who would have thought, you know, years ago that sports would be at the point where they're talking about uh, acquisition, retention, lower funnel love right. metrics, and all these things. Uh, but that's what I learned. How do you combine direct-to-consumer marketing with sports and entertainment? Yeah. Uh, we ended up getting in, in uh, launching the Cinesport business. And what Cinesport was at the time was uh, pro uh, professional highlights were not being made available to most websites because uh, the leagues took the position that it was a commercial product, finally, uh, where it was uh, free to air in the broadcast world. So companies like your ex company, uh, Tom, I think paid 20 million bucks for the uh, NBA highlights back in the early days of the <laughs> web. Um, and, and that sort of blocked out the newspaper sites uh, from, from being able to offer highlights. So mm -hmm. what we did is we wrote the check uh, and we flipped around and organized the highlights into local playlists. We supplemented it with, um, with original content and that content was literally talking to beat writers about what their teams were doing and being able to do it on Skype and quickly turn it around and republish it out to the web. And, you know, nowadays, look, look at us on this Zoom recording. Uh, we were some of the first companies that were doing this kind of production work um, and, and were able to grow that into 600 sites, top three comp score ranking. Uh, but I think the most important thing we learned is that production quality, um, you know, look and feel is only one aspect. What, what people really tune into is great storytelling and credibility. Um, there's no more credible or was no more credible voice about a local team uh, back when we were doing Cinesport than the local beat writer. Uh, this is in the days of Bleacher Report and SB Nation and, you know, uh, amateur sports blogging. But the reality is how many people are in the locker room, how many people really know the coaches and the players, how many people can tell you stories about the team and provide you insights. And that ended up being something that we can translate into video. Uh, fast forward, we exited in 2017. And my partner and I, Larry Weitzman, we thought that everything we had learned about video at Cinesport 
could be packaged as a service that we could offer to content owners uh, or people with IP. So uh, we launched Forward Media Partners to provide that kind of capability. Uh, the world of fundraising had changed. The world of uh, how do you market your, your business had changed. And what we started to realize, there was a lot of companies out there that didn't want to raise a ton of money, staff themselves end to end. They were comfortable doing partnerships. They were comfortable outsourcing capabilities um, uh, to companies like ours. So um, we, we built that business up. And ultimately, uh, I had known Spencer for years uh, back when he was at Dial Global. And uh, we were talking about the podcasting space. And what, what we really realized is that podcasting is just great storytelling. Um, it's great storytelling on demand. And, and you were talking about Michael Lewis. I'm a big fan. Uh, if you listen to his podcast, uh, he actually was interviewed by Jacob Weisberg, I think is one of the partners and Malcolm Gladwell about podcasting. Mm -hmm. And what he said is that he preferred it as a medium because you could tell great stories and you can really, really dive into the details. And in this world where everybody's talking about TikTok and Instagram, there is huge consumer appetite for storytelling and going deep on topics. And, and that's what podcasting really does. It's, it's sort of been pigeonholed in a lot of ways that it's an audio medium, but it's really a storytelling medium and that happened to be introduced in audio. So what we decided to do is actually create a joint venture. So I actually have a strategic partnership with Spencer's company. And what we do is we find podcasters who are interested in translating their stories into video. We help them with production if they don't do it today. Um, we then take that content, uh, we, we edit it into modular uh, formats, and we distribute it on the web. And so you, that, mean you actually, you'll break it down into to kind of like a more uh, digestible segments, like two minute pieces or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so ultimately we think there's going to be a business for what we consider long form syndication. Um, you know, you look at the streaming channels out there, the collapse of original production investment that's been happening. I think you're going to see um, a big, big syndication business pop up in the, in the streaming market. Uh, because people can't write a check for all their own content. NBC and the big linear uh, legacy companies have, don't do that. They outsource plenty of their content to, to third-party companies. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Uh, the, the reality is Michael Lewis's podcast would be a great programming block on a lot of streaming channels. Um, and you could go down the list on the top podcasts. I'm a big fan of smart lists, not, not a uh, uh, you know, sports podcast, but that's just great entertainment programming by three really, really successful entertainers. Um, so why isn't that uh, being marketed and offered up to, to, to different streaming channels as a way to expand? That's a, really good, that's a really good point. I know Joe has a question, but I just have to throw in quickly because you mentioned the podcast, Smartless. Joe, I don't know if you know, it's extremely mm -hmm. popular. It's so it's Will Arnett. Um, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes, right? So I just found out about it literally, Michael. This is such a coincidence. Just a couple of days ago. Oh wow! And I and I went through their archive to see which episode because I wanted to try it. A few weeks ago, about a month ago, they had Dana Carvey, who's right. one of my favorite comedians, on. And within about ten minutes, I was hooked. These guys, these no, guys are great together. I can see why this is so popular. So I'm now a new Smartless guy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you and for they it up. they just sold that to uh, Amazon for $80 million. Oh, I did not hear that. Yeah. Wow. 
89. When you say sold it, meaning it's going to be so, exclusive? So I, I don't know the structure of the deal, yeah. but but in essence, what you're seeing is that there is there's a belief, and it's proven to be true. I don't know if you watched the WeWork um, doc, um, series on, on uh, Apple <laughs> absolutely, TV. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that story is actually a derivative of a podcast done by Wondery. Um, and, and a lot of podcast studios are now realizing that uh, podcasting is a great way to get into um, television series, movies, uh, and, because it's just phenomenal IP. And, yeah. and you, know, it's, uh, you were talking about the origin of Michael Lewis's stories. Um, you know, where do these movies and television series come from? I mean, it's always traditionally been books, but now more and more you're seeing it as, as podcasts. And, you know, look how Ted Lasso became, a, it was a segment on Saturday Night Live. I mean, it's like, you, you really don't want to um, limit what you can do with great IP and great storytelling. Uh, the other thing about podcasting that I find so interesting with three old guys on the phone is that the, the monetization vehicle for podcasting is this concept of a live read. Um, it is, you know, so what would you have to pay to have Will Arnett read your commercial? You know, in, in, and here he is willing to do it for buying a 30 second or 60 second live read. And, and regardless. Um, what would you pay to have Michael Lewis read your commercial? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the business model for podcasting. Interesting, and, and that translates even better into video for all the obvious reasons. Um, and so, what we're trying to do is leverage those two things: the the the, the non automated advertising environment, which is now even more important and more valuable to a brands who are increasingly faced with just an electronic marketplace for inventory and great storytelling. Um, so what, what Larry and I realized we wanted to do with Forward is not just uh, be a service provider, but actually get into IP uh, ourselves. So that's why we created the venture with, with Spencer, because we wanted to see uh, if there were opportunities to, to benefit um, from our labor um, in, in derivative ways uh, off the work that we were doing. Um, wow. Wow. So, you know, pro football focus is a great example. Uh, Got to mm -hmm. be one of the great small brands in all the football, possibly in all the sports. Um, they were launched by Chris Collinsworth uh, and, and he was making a commitment to how do you track uh, football as a data-driven ex uh, exercise. Uh, and now you can't, follow fantasy football, you can't read an article without somebody referencing what their pro football focus grade is and, you know, talk to any fantasy football player. They, they sit there and wait for those grades to come out. It's, it's the GMs are using them to actually negotiate contracts. I mean, you know, that's the kind of IP that's really difficult to create. And, and here they are, they have video, but nobody sees it. So we're helping them expand the distribution of their video. Joe, you have and, a question. I'm sorry to interrupt. And, and by the way, yeah. the PFF guys were one of our guests at on Radio Row. Oh my so, God. Yeah. Um, so so a couple couple points. One is if you go into the Wayback Machine and you look at Roy Firestone or the Sports Reporters or Dick Schapp, um, they were probably kind of reverse engineering what it is you're trying to do now, yeah. which is amazing. And most people listening to this won't know any of those people, but you could probably find them. Or Ian Ligori with Sports Interview or any of those, because that's really what it was. 
Um, and, you know, it's funny when you talk about podcasting. So Only Murders in the Building is the opposite. It was a TV show about podcasts. So that's another way to go. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talk about kind of the, the craziness of how things happen. So I just finished working on the Edie for Brady movie. And one of the things we learned about that when they talked about this great idea and how it came out of something. And during one of the, uh, the meetings, they talked about, wouldn't it have been great if, to get these ladies on a podcast and do their own podcast as it was coming along? Reality was the movie got made because the showrunner, it was the, the, one, of the aunt, one of the women was the aunt to one of the showrunners who figured out how to do it. But I agree. I mean, when you look at um, The Last Dance and, and you talk about kind of how, how they took video and then went back and did the deeper dive, um, sometimes I think people are just too short-sighted to see the opportunities that can be built around all that ancillary stuff. And if you can take that ancillary stuff and audio and bring it to video, especially if there's video that goes along with it, it's it's a treasure trove that never stops getting, I think. So what I think is, but guys, let me ask both of you, what what is it about the video extension that makes sense other than the fact that it is literally additional distribution? Because not everybody has a face for video, so to speak. And I, that's an old line in the entertainment business, but you right. know what I'm saying? Like not everybody should be in front of a camera necessarily. Yeah, that's true, Tom, or that has been true. But what we learned is it's actually not that true. So um, when you put sports beat writers from newspapers on camera and it works, it, it tells me that it's less about how telegenic you are and more about how great your storytelling ability is. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to pick up on something not to pick on Joe when you were talking before about how much how much content is out there. What what's fascinating to me is that there's so much content out there that we don't even we won't even talk about on this uh, call. And and there's so many people that have emerged from this digital marketplace that never would have gotten the light of day. I, I, you know, yeah. um, so. Um, uh, Jeff Schwartz was an offensive lineman, and he he started uh, yeah. on Twitter using the back of a pencil to show you how offensive linemen uh, actually work during the play. Nobody's focused on those guys, and um, and now he, it, that turned into like a business for him because yeah. he found a niche area that who would have thought anybody wanted to really focus on the linemen. But the reality is that there's a market for it. What what's missing for most of these really good ideas is the distribution marketing and monetization capability. And so where I like to focus is finding good storytelling and giving them the boring stuff. You know, the stuff that, you know, you go to win and get an MBA about, the stuff that you learn in the trenches, the, the stuff that you learn once you get to the NBA that really what makes the league work is the mm -hmm. properties division, the operations division, making sure you got referees everywhere, you know, the blocking and tackling of a business assigned to sports and and helping those entities find their audience. Um, you mentioned this Web 3.0 venture. So um, you guys both will relate to this. Classic sports was something that uh, we thought was going to be a huge business. Um, I love the story of classic sports and how Steve Greenberg marketed, you know, had brought it to ESPN three different times before they actually bought it. But ultimately ESPN shut it down because they thought, there was they could use the channel position better by offering live games so you don't see classic sports anymore um we wanted to uh relaunch classic sports and so what we did is we signed deals with the retired players associations for the nhl major league baseball and the nfl and we wanted to combine great storytelling with being 
with providing a perspective that's from the player's uh, perspective. And there's a lot of discussion going on, particularly in the NBA right now, about this whole concept of player empowerment and players being able to dictate where they go. The Kevin Durant trade, the Kyrie Irving situation, um, a lot of old timers resent the fact that players can now pick where they want to go. Um, but from a player standpoint, and if you're an advocate of player, it's it's actually, it's amazing. Like you now are not beholden to the general manager. Um, you're not, you're not reliant on the league to tell your story. Draymond Green is doing podcasting as a current player. You know, David's head, David Stern's heads would explode in that environment. <laughs> Who knows what the guy's going to say, but in this marketplace, you can't stop. Him. No. And, and so, so how do you, how do you, curate that into a real business. And, and so we've created something called the Game Sports Network. Um, and we're, we're trying to launch this idea of classic sports, but done by leveraging Web 3.0 technology. So all the mediums that we're talking about right now are different ways to reach audiences. And each of them requires a slightly different format, a slightly different approach to um, content operations, ad operations, inventory, um, and and trying to find the right market for them, including, and I love the last dance, there's just very few Michael Jordans out there or Tom Brady's, but there's plenty of stories. And, and I'll go back when I first joined the league, the Detroit Piston bad boys were the hot team. And I remember reading research about who was the best selling merchandise on the Detroit Pistons. And it was the first time I had heard Dennis Rodman's name. And I thought to myself, now, <laughs> nobody nationally would give that guy the, you know, <laughs> back then anyway, any time. But if you're a Detroit fan and you're sitting there watching this guy bust his butt to get another offensive rebound, doesn't score a point, right? Just plays insane defense, hustles his ass off, um, is from a tiny school, nobody thought he'd be successful. In a working class town like Detroit, it probably isn't a surprise that that guy would be as popular as he was. Um, well, you're not going to see Dennis Rodman's story on a national basis right now, but you would uh, know you, you could pretty much guarantee that if you could produce that at a, a discounted rate or an efficient rate, um, which you can in podcasting or in short form video, if you could tell that story to Detroit fans, both in Detroit and find them out of the market, which you can do with direct to consumer marketing, then you can actually build enough of an audience that several of those stories, the bad boys in Detroit, the uh, 86 Giants in New York, the Eagles championships, and you string those together under a single brand, what you do is you become a great curator and destination uh, for storytelling across different sports. And that's the premise of what we're trying to do, um, empowering these stories to be told, finding athletes that want to tell them or writers that want to tell them, and, and then organizing them under a single umbrella, both for marketing and distribution. You know, it just occurred to me that we should spend 20 seconds and give a shout out to the, to the individuals who actually started this back in the 1960s, Ed and Steve Sable. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I mentioned this recently in a class, this idea of taking just the straight, straight blocking and tackling, as you said, just like the basic stuff of sports which we typically see either live in a game but very limited back then or on the news highlights or newspapers magazines and actually creating a mythology around it creating a brand or a video brand or creating a look and feel right. that what was really really strategic 
that was a brilliant move by Pete Rozelle enabling the Sables to do that. And you look back and think of what they did. And for me, as a as I was a very big football festival, I'm a football fan, and I still remember the imagery they created sure. from those NFL highlight shows, the frozen yeah. tundra of Lambeau Field, you know, exactly. Bud Grant breathing out the air when it was minus 10 degrees at a Vikings game. I mean, it sticks with me to this day. And I just want to give them some, well, some credit for I, that. I, yeah. And I'll, I'll give you another story. And, and I'm sure you guys have your own. So one of my first NBA events in 1990 was to go to a sponsor event during the finals. And at that time, the NBA was still on CBS. It was the last year of CBS. And we each got uh, assigned to a table with some notable person from the NBA there. And I was lucky enough to sit at a table with Hubie Brown. And Hubie Brown was telling stories about basketball. And and look, you talk about a guy that nobody ever thought would had the look for TV. Um, but as basketball fans, I, I nobody talked. We just wanted Hubie to tell us stories about you know what his experience would be and break down the game. Um, I got, you know, like if you have children and if you have children that are sports fans, they don't. Um, have any uh, age discrimination. My son is a huge baseball fan. He would listen to Tim Kirchin like talk about baseball until he's like, you know, blue in the face. And and the answer is why? Like, because Tim's got credibility and Tim knows what he's talking about. So my son doesn't care that he's, you know, 40 years older than, than, than he is uh, because he's a source. Um, and I think about all those voices and people that have real insight. And what, one of the great things about sports is, you know, it has always been really pro- progressive about race, about age. Um, it's always about like what value you could add to the experience or the team or whatever. And, and I love that about sports. And this is an opportunity to, to tell those stories and give voice to a lot of people in the, in the world of sports that have something to say. So um, what I love about the modern media uh, economy is that you can now uh, produce content really inexpensively. You can find, there's a lot less friction in the distribution. They're not the gatekeepers that there were, or the gatekeepers don't have quite the uh, power that they used to have. Uh, So, you know, there is an opportunity for organizations like mine to cut through all that if you put the right people together. And that's what we're tempted to do. So, so uh, two points on that, and this is, I'd be really interested to hear your take. Um, the, the spending, the advertising world is always hyper-focused on young. Oh, we got to get younger. We got to get them before they come along. Um, and what you're talking about, although your son may be a little bit of an outlier, are things that you talk to 17 or 18 year olds and they'll say, what, who is that guy? And right. And we've seen numerous examples of the other side of that, which I would really love your take on, in addition to part one, is the largest growing demo in this country, other than Hispanic, is 50 and older. And they have money and they're interested and they're engaged and they they know they're not risk averse to things. They have time. Um, So is there a market that you think where you're not even really looking at the demo of, you know, 18 to 24, where this is actually playing to an audience that has never really been serviced in sports? And how does that play out? Yeah, no, it's a great point. And, and again, I'll give you another NBA story. Um, this was uh, pre-Dream Team, right when we were working on the Dream Team. And the whole mm-hmm. idea 
youth market, uh, we got research back that showed that the most important demo for the NBA was 12 to 24. Mm. Um, and they were one of the least, um, uh, well, they watched less live games than any of the other important demos. So they were fans, but they weren't watching the games. And, and that was the genesis of creating Rock and Job. Um, was giving them programming about the NBA that they were interested in. So mm-hmm. kind of a twist on your question, Joe, but so, which, which is that I think sports is universally liked by all demos uh, at different variations. You know, you know, obviously 40% women, we always hear that about men's sports. What has happened? You guys were talking about women's soccer. Now you have women's leagues, um, popping up because we've realized that women are sports fans. They just, you know, many of them would like to watch women sports versus male sports. Um, And so there's been this huge explosion in women's sports. In terms of the older demos, uh, I think they've always been important, but when you're a mass marketer, you have to rely on efficiencies. Uh, And so where are the efficiencies? The efficiencies are an offering um, programming that's going to appeal to an audience that popular to the mass buyer and the mass buyer is always trying to influence the 12 to 24 year olds because they're at a point in their life where they're choosing their brands so you know i'm tom i'm sure you sat in many meetings where they were like coke's got 40 percent, pepsi's got 40 percent. we're going to spend a billion dollars to convert the middle 20 you know like that that's almost every one of the categories that i grew up in that's that was the market you were dealing with these days you can't watch sports without seeing pharmaceutical brands all over them. So, you know, could we peel off some of those pharmaceuticals to create these storytelling, uh, these stories for uh, about retired players or classic sports and market them directly to uh, the demos that that matter to those pharmaceuticals? Absolutely. Um, you know, and there's plenty of other categories beyond those that that market to, you know, my demo of the baby boomers. Uh, and, 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 and that's what's so interesting about today's marketplace is that it's, um, it's a patchwork approach to marketing your content. It's not a linear approach to ma- marketing your mm-hmm. content. Yeah. Um, it requires a different set of, set of skills. Uh, it requires an orientation around marketing that typically you, saw, you see at most, most brand marketing companies, not uh, sports and entertainment marketing companies, although that, that's changing. Uh, I'll be interested to see how companies like Disney Plus and Netflix start to market their content in a differentiated way. So um, does Disney Plus use Star Wars to attract everybody in their empire? No, they're going to use Disney content for kids or moms with kids. They're going to use Star Wars for teens and tweens. Uh, and and you know and and go down and look at Apple and the kind of content they're creating. Clearly, they're creating content that appeals to older demos uh, because that's who watches the content on their shows. So, you know, I, I think that's the tough thing is that you have to avoid sort of pigeonholing yourself in the old model of how you think about what you create, how you create it, who's going to support it. Um, and, and nowadays, the thing that we have to prioritize is our bandwidth versus, versus our investment resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's really what we have to focus on. So I've got a follow-up question on that. Um, thinking about where the pro sports has come in the media business, when we, Michael, when you joined NBA in 90 and I was at the NFL, started in 90, we really weren't media business. Yes, NFL had NFL films. 
Um, there was no network. We had the magazine business, you know, which uh, or the publishing business, which I was in charge of. But we really weren't media companies. And to see what has happened over the last 25, 30 years is nothing short of remarkable. It seems to me that this move to D to C, which you referenced earlier, is only going to go deeper, partly because you see the value in a world of immersive technology that produces data that allows you to do analytics, that allows you to optimize and be efficient. This is clearly the model that everybody is after. And there's this weird dynamic now where the industry needs to cling to the old comp you know, television industrial complex for financial reasons, but you can see them wanting to go deeper. I mean, the example that I love to talk about is Clipper Vision. You know, Steve Bomber doing a direct-to-consumer streaming yeah. business just for the LA Clippers, which is unprecedented. So as I said to Joe before, if I'm the guy running the Knicks digital or media, I'd say, I want Knicks Vision now. But then you hear MSG announcing MSG Plus. Right. Where? Wh how is this going to play out in your estimation as the decade unfolds? I really don't. I mean, look, if I knew I'd, I'd, I'd change my investment thesis to follow my, my uh, instincts. Right. What, what I do know is that uh, the acceleration of change has been unbelievable. Um, just look at the last couple of years. You talk about Clipper Vision, Manning Casts, um, you, know, the, uh, you know, now these um, multi-network uh, coverage where you can get the local broadcasts from each of the teams plus the national broadcast. I think you're going to see a lot of different takes on the same game. So each person can, you know, can experience it the way they want to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that. What, what I find most interesting about the sports business right now is that it continues to prove itself as the ultimate um, offer that, that companies can use to attract consumers. So, you know, when, when I started, there was must-see TV, and that was the reason that, um, that David wanted to be on NBC so badly, other than the check, right? But, but, you know, he got his Sunday games promoted on Thursday night after Seinfeld and Friends, and there was nothing more powerful than that in the world of marketing. Fast forward to today, and you just read this week how Amazon's going to offer a free game on Black Friday during Thanksgiving. I mean, just think about the economics of not just sports, but Amazon, who now realizes that sports can bring people in on the most important shopping day of the year. And so what are they doing? They're offering an NFL game for no charge so that they'll bring people in that they can convert to shoppers. And, and how does NBC, how does you know ABC, how do they compete with a trillion dollar market cap company that's in, you know, uh, like Amazon or Apple, when sports to them is a marketing hook to sell their other products mm -hmm. and not their core business. Mm -hmm. And it really, I mean, all you got to look at is look at team valuations over the last five years and why, uh, you know, I just saw an interview with Mark Cuban and you guys probably both remember when he bought the Mavericks he was vilified for the amount of money that he spent, which was, I think, 250 or $270 million in those days for the Dallas Mavericks. It's worth 10x that now, 10x. And that's the Dallas Mavericks. Look at what the Commanders is being sold for. Or any of these mm -hmm. franchises, they come up, the Winnipeg Jets have three offers in Canada. I mean, it's 
it's just the the marketplace for what the value of of a, a sports franchise in today is just completely changed in a way that none of us could have anticipated. Um, or these teams would have been sold 20 years ago for a lot more money, uh, but they weren't. So I think that's what right now is the most interesting thing that's going on in sports is where does sports fit in the total, you know, sports industrial, uh, sports entertainment ecosystem? What is what is the role of sports and uh, the internationalization of sports? Uh, you know, you guys were talking about F1. Drive to Survive is is amazing. It's, you know, Formula One in Europe is one of the most popular sports. All those drivers are some of the most well-compensated athletes around the world. We never heard of these guys. I'm like you. I'm sitting there, Max Verstappen. Like, I didn't know his father was a driver. I didn't, like, now I'm learning all this stuff right. about him. Right. Um, and and it has nothing to do with the results. I, the races ran 10 months ago, yeah. and I don't care. Yeah. Because right. I'm interested in the drivers, the principles, you know, the, the stories behind. And the, and the imagery, like, the imagery is fantastic. I mean, some of these locations, like, you know, they, they had me hooked when they did the, the Monte Carlo Grand Prix. Cause right. oh, you know, yeah. and, it was, and, it was and, so fantastic. And, and look what's happened. You now have what, three races in the U S formula mm -hmm. one races coming up. Yeah. Um, Miami, Miami, Vegas and Austin. And, Austin. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think that's a great example. And yet, you know, I'm curious to see how the tennis show will do in the golf show. I, I, you know, for me anyway, the same format didn't translate as well to Formula One. I don't know if it was the imagery of the cars racing around or the different locations or how mm -hmm. they did it, but it, it, it's fascinating to watch what sports is in our marketing and, and content infrastructure and industry out there. Um, all I know is it always seems to be the lead. Uh, you know, it, it just, and, and I think it will continue to be that for, for years to come. Um, one one more quick question, because we do need to think about the last segment, get into the last segment. But I just want to get your take on this. It it seems like, you know, we're in this interesting place right now where the sports industry has realized, whether they like it or not, they're fighting for eyeballs and minutes in the attention economy writ large. And that rules changes are being considered that used to be sacrosanct. Uh, but you're seeing changes real time now with baseball. You, you've seen the stories about other sports. Daryl yeah. Morey has been very outspoken about this the last few public um, uh, interviews he's done. That whether the purists like it or not, the games, the the products need to evolve. Yeah. Just quick thoughts on, and Joe, I'd love your thoughts on that too. Like, do you, do you think the leagues will be more responsive to the marketplace in terms of, let's say, shortening games, the pace of play, things like that? Absolutely. I, I don't think they have a choice really at the end of the day. And and look, there's a tension around this idea of market uh, franchise valuation with television product. And, you know, I personally believe and learned a long time ago that you really need to understand the franchise valuation to understand what motivates owners and leagues uh, and not just look every year at their revenues and the salary cap. Um, the real value in sports is how that franchise has evolved. Uh, Having said that, you know, if sports wants to continue to be the water cooler, you know, uh, content, um, you need to make sure that consumers want to talk about it. And if all they're talking about is the negative, you know, in our, we grew up around all the labor problems and all the sports. They look, the NBA is about to, you know, renegotiate their labor deal. You're hearing nothing about a strike. I mean, I lived through two of them and it were horrible. 
these leagues have to avoid those kinds of confrontations these days. There's too much money at stake. And, and the fact that baseball was willing to make the shift illegal and put a, finally a pitch clock in and look at the impact it's shortening games by almost a half an hour. So it's getting it into a two and a half hour window, which is about the sweet spot for where you want to be as a, as a sports uh, show. Um, I think you're going to see more of it. I, I'm a big fan of hockey. Look how much fighting has been pushed out of sports in order to attract the casual fan. I think you're going to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the concussion issue and how you know you, you have to protect the players. Uh, go down the list. It's not just rules changes, but it's it's protecting. I hate to sound this commercial about people, but the assets, which are the players. And and it's why I think this whole player empowerment issue is actually going to be a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, trade deadlines in the NBA and this year in the NHL, you know, Joe, the storylines that get created around trades, it's it's like the fans dream. It's to be able to say, oh, what am I, what can I do? Can I get Kevin Durant on my Phoenix Suns team? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it all of a sudden energizes these sports in ways that are really tough to do. And uh, so I think you're going to see more of that as well. Yep. Um, hey, Joe, before I'll ask Michael the final question, but just any just quick response to that about the rules changes? Just no, I, I, I think, I think it's pretty commonsensical for any business. If you, if you don't adapt, you, you die. And, and, yeah. and sports is not. You know, I think that's what you have to conclude. Ultimately, there's, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no guarantee that a, a sport that's pot. I mean, like we've learned this with, as I say, boxing and horse racing from the mid century, uh, us market but yeah it's going to be really interesting to watch i think there'll be actually more aggressive attempts to improve the uh the entertainment factor of the game even if it flies in the face of the purest uh you know standing standing pat they, they just can't do it anymore as long as the nfl doesn't get rid of the chain gang we really still need the chain gang. <laughs> really that would be that that's that would gonna be, be the last to go some key <laughs> imagery lost in a football game absolutely uh so michael Yep. Uh, yeah, relatively quickly, um, uh, the, the conversation was so fascinating. We left ourselves little time, but two things. Quickly, how do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you listening to? I'm sure you're keeping up on a lot of things to to do all the work you're doing. And number two, can you offer some career advice for, especially for the young people listening? Yeah, so um, uh, what I I read um, a, a little bit in 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 a couple of different categories. So I think marketing is really, really important and being able to understand how marketing is evolving. So we talked about direct-to-consumer marketing and uh, that that that's an area that I stay focused in. Uh, I, I read a lot about um, business evolution uh, and how businesses are evolving. And, and a lot of that is tech-driven and it's important to keep up with that. And I'm a sports fan, so I do read about sports because I think that at the core is what what really drives sports, the passion we all feel uh, for for the sports that we follow. Um, And in terms of career advice, you know, I think that, um, look, big organizations like like the leagues or, or networks are great places to start. But we live in a marketplace that's increasingly becoming, you know, a take on the gig economy new and smaller businesses. I'm sure you guys, I mean, you were talking about Sloan. How many businesses show up there that most people have never heard of? And think about the innovations that have just come through Sloan alone, Mm -hmm. Uh, ticketing, um, fantasy sports, go down the list the last 10 years, NFTs, like of all the things that have occurred in sports 
that were birthed by entrepreneurs having nothing to do with sports. They just figured out how to leverage technology in some way, shape or form, and then apply it to sports. And, mm -hmm. and those are the organizations that I think uh, present the most interesting opportunities for people because they have to think about growth and innovation and they have to foster uh, an environment in which they're gonna empower people who come to work there to think differently. First, uh, uh, the you know larger organizations where you're sort of fitting into a particular role, yep. structure goal. Cool. That's um, actually a good way of, of saying that because I I like to talk about the you know the two poles. You can go work for big, uh, a giant company, and you have to follow the rules. You have no choice but to follow the rules. As you said, try to fit in. But when you're going on the other uh, on the other side of the coin, the other direction, you can do a lot when you're young. Yeah, and, and frankly, a lot of these entrepreneurs, at least the ones I know, they they want the opinions and insights of young people. They're not necessarily, especially for the stuff that's really disruptive. But no, that's really good <laughs> advice. Um, Michael, how can everybody find you and Forward Media? Um, the easiest way is my name on LinkedIn. That's okay. uh, that's the easiest way, or through you. Um, um, mm -hmm. We do have a website up, Forward Media Partners. It, it you know, uh, to say for all my talk about marketing, we don't do a great job of describing ourselves, but the, it it serves the purpose. Uh, but yeah, that that those are the best ways, and uh, you know, love to hear from people. All right, excellent, Joe. That was fun. It was awesome. I wish we ran out of time way too quickly. And, you know, one thing before we let you go, I mean, I was a huge fan and a supporter of Cinesport. And when you guys sold it, it still kills me to this day that, that somebody shot the baby and, and had an opportunity to grow. Something. Yeah. Well, that's the wow. dark side of, of entrepreneurship and roll-ups. You know, yeah. um, once you sell it, you don't control it anymore. But uh, yeah. 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 Well, look, it's a great achievement. So you'll always have that uh, to to, uh, to think about. So good for you. But Michael Dresner, thank you for spending time Thanks with us me, on the Cusp Show. That was a really great conversation. And Joe, I kind of agree with you. It did feel like we could have gone deeper uh, in that last segment about media and its evolution. So Michael, I'll, I'll make you. We'll make you this offer. When you actually get your web, your what do you call it? Your uh, classic sports for Web three. Yeah. Like when you really get going on that, let's let's talk again, because I am I wanted to get into the geeky side of like why Web3 for that. And I'm sure you have a good answer, but yeah. we'll save that for the next convo. Awesome. I'd love to come back. All right. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you very much. We appreciate everybody listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, Joe. It was a lot of fun. Good to be back with you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.